move to our, our time of uh, studying God's Word together. Um, we are now in our third week of our series, our sermon series, Suffering and Sovereignty, which we're looking at the life and the faith of Joseph in the book of Genesis. And this morning, we're going to see again that God's power and His control is over everything, from the smallest detail to life-changing, earth-shattering events. Seeing how God brings a man from prison to prominence, and how we must trust and obey God at all times and in all places. So please open up your copies of God's Word to the book of Genesis chapter 41, or look up at the screen as we read God's Word together. Now just a heads up, we are going to be reading a large section of Scripture this morning, um, so I apologize for that. Um, But please remain seated as we read God's Word together from Genesis 41, 1-40. This is the Word of the Lord. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. Then ugly and thin cows ate up the seven attractive plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, growing on one stalk. And behold, after this sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Then Pharaoh told them in his dreams. There was no one who could interpret them. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. We dreamed on the same night, and he and I was having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about, and I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream that no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said to you, that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Even other cows came up after, Poor, ugly, and thin, thin. 
such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. Then the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. When they had eaten them, no one would have known what they had eaten. Or they were still ugly. as And I awoke. And also I saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears, withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind, sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed it to Pharaoh, what he is about to do. The seven cows are seven ears. And seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. Seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven years blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. As it is old Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and their plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and send him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. Also in good, good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities. Let them keep it. The food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine. And it will occur in the land of Egypt, so the land may not perish through famine. This proposal. Another? Okay. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, holy and almighty God, Please open our hearts and open our minds that we may know your truth, and that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we may know you and that we may grow in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A little while ago, I had a conversation with a person about underdogs. Now, if you're a child of the 60s, I'm not talking about the fantastic cartoon dog superhero underdog. No, I'm talking about the concept of an underdog. Not like a person or a team that is heavily favored in like a sporting match or some type of contest. Now, some people, they love underdogs. 
They love them so much that even if they're not a fan of that team, or even of that sport really, they will cheer for that team, especially if that team has never won a championship before. These underdogs are a team or a person that everyone has counted out because either of their lack of skill or their lack of pedigree or their lack of a good track record. Yet, if that underdog truly rises up to win, every single person knows their name, knows their skill, and they are recognized in the eyes of everyone, specifically of their peers, as being great. One of the great underdog stories is the story of Vince Papali. Now, some of you may remember him um, or maybe have seen the movie about him. Um, It was a wonderful sports movie, a true story, a 2005 film starring Mark Wahlberg called Invincible. Now, Vince, he went from a no one, someone who didn't play play college football, barely played a little bit of minor league football, to being the oldest NFL rookie ever and becoming an important special, special team star on the Philadelphia Eagles at the age of 30. He beat all of the odds. Everything and every single person was against him. Yet he rose to a position of prominence in a storied franchise. Now, he only played a few seasons, but he was elevated from a person who was walking on the street to a starting player in the NFL. And this story is legendary. He went from a no one to having his name on the lips of every person in Philadelphia in the late 70s. This morning, we see... In the Bible, in the, in the book of Genesis, chapter 41, a similar account in the life of Joseph. For Joseph, he rose from being a prisoner locked up in jail for a crime he did not commit, living in obscurity, to the second most powerful person in Egypt, only to Pharaoh himself. This is quite the underdog story. Yet it was not Joseph's own skill that gave him this rise to power, but God's sovereign control over everything. And we see this theme again and again and again in the life of Joseph. Let's do a quick recap. We first met Joseph in Genesis 37, where he was given a dream in which his brothers would be bowing down before him. And then he was given an awe-inspiring coat, which bred a covetous heart in his brothers. So they faked his death, and they sold him into slavery with the Ishmaelites, you know, his cousins, who then turned and sold him into slavery into the employ of Potiphar in Egypt. Then he rose up in the ranks to become second in command of Potiphar's home, only then to be hit on and unjustly accused of adultery by Potiphar's wife. So then he ends up in prison for the next two years next to two members of Pharaoh's high court who were accused of a crime. God interprets their dream using Joseph and the chief cupbearer is set free. Then he promises to speak to Pharaoh on Joseph's behalf. Now, in today's text, we see Joseph's rise from this pit, from from this prison, rising from prison to prominence in Pharaoh's high court, from being a no one to having his name known by everyone for being Pharaoh's second in command. Furthermore, we see in our passage this morning that at the center of Joseph's life is God's sovereignty and how we must respond to it. We must trust in Him and obey what Scripture commands. Trusting God by looking for significance and satisfaction in Him alone. As well as submitting to God's sovereign control. And obeying God by giving Him the glory that He deserves. Let's, first by looking at, let's start first by looking at 
um, God, looking, looking for significance and satisfaction in Him alone by trusting God. We see this in the first eight verses. Now, a lot of time has passed since we heard anything from Joseph between chapter 40 and chapter 41. Nothing was recorded, but a whole two years had passed since our last encounter with him. Now, he had been sitting in prison, and it had been exactly two years since he had been sent there. Now, it's important of the date because it, again, is Pharaoh's birthday. Now, Pharaoh gets a dream that utterly perplexes him. And why wouldn't it? Now, Pharaoh's dream, if we really think about it, was, was very disturbing. We see skinny cows becoming cannibals. And then they eat the larger, the plumper cows. And then on top of that, ears of grain that are larger than life, they're destroying or swallowing up these other beleaguered ears of corn. Or sorry, ears of grain. When thinking how this must have looked, no wonder Pharaoh woke up in his dream with a disturbed spirit. Now these dreams, they were confusing to Pharaoh. And in ancient Egypt, actually in all of the ancient Near East, when a person like a king or a pharaoh had a dream, especially on their birthday, their dreams were seen as having special significance, usually affecting not just themselves, but their entire nation or their people. Now, knowing this, pharaoh has a desire to find out immediately what was meant by his dream. He's looking for the significance and he turns to his trusty magicians and his trusty wise men. Basically, the people who practice the art of divination and the people who are best educated in the land. Now, neither of these two people groups, they are able to give Pharaoh a satisfactory answer to the puzzle of his dream. Now, we don't know if they weren't just able to give him an answer or if they didn't give him an answer that Pharaoh liked. But in either case, they could not find the significance of this all-important dream that could shape the future of the entire Egyptian empire. Now, as a people, we all, like Pharaoh, we desire to have significance and satisfaction in our lives. We may not be in a position of power like Pharaoh or having confusing dreams, yet we all have this desire. And like Pharaoh, it scares us in some way if we don't have the satisfaction that we crave or find significance in our lives. Like Pharaoh, we are, we are searching for significance and satisfaction in the wrong place. With Pharaoh in verse 8, he was teaching, or sorry, he was searching for significance in people, in magic, in earthly wisdom, and it left him with an unsatisfactory answer. He was at a loss, and he did not know where to search for his answers. Even then, the world's most powerful man could not find the answers that he desperately craved. He couldn't find any satisfaction. Now, while we may not be as powerful or as well-connected as Pharaoh, we too have these same desires. And often we make the mistake of looking for them in the wrong place. We look for significance, for satisfaction in our relationships. Whether it excuse me, whether we long to be connected to another person who knows us who wants to make us feel wanted, whether it be a friend or a boyfriend or a girlfriend, a spouse, a family member, a mentor. Now, these type of relationships, they're not bad, but when we use them to fill the void that we have, even just to make us feel alive, this is not where we're supposed to search. Now, we may even forge some of these relationships knowing they're not good for us 
just to feel any type of satisfaction or significance. Yet in the end, these relationships, they cannot give us what we truly desire. We also may look for significance and satisfaction in our status, in our power, in our job, or our school, or our achievements. These things, they may give us the ability to have recognition in front of people, but as with relationships, they will only give us temporary satisfaction, temporary significance, because it cannot last long term. We look for significance and satisfaction in self-help books, in podcasts, in music, TV, movies, any type of media. Now these items, they may help improve our mood, they may entertain us, and they may even give us the ability to improve ourselves. Yet there is no entertainment so relaxing, no music so powerful, and no self-help book so ingenious that they can fulfill our desires of our heart that only God can fulfill. We may even look for significance and satisfaction in man-made religion in a manner that is mystical or self-serving. But man-made religions, they may give us community, even maybe a sense of worth, but they will not grant us true significance and satisfaction. They can't because they're not worshiping God in the manner that He desires. Any sense of peace or community will fade after time. And any and all of those uh, um, apparatuses that we seek significance and satisfaction in, only God can provide this for us. They can't, these other things, they can't give us what we truly desire because they don't have the ability to, for they are all corrupted by sin. Only something pure, something holy, something perfect, and that is in God alone. Everything else is like ash in our mouths. Therefore, to find any true significance and a lasting satisfaction in our lives, we must look for the one who is in sovereign control over all things. The creator of the universe. The creator of you and me. The one who knows us better than we even know ourselves. The Lord Jesus he is the one who is the bread of life, as John 6 shows us. The one who truly satisfies our every need. Because of our sin, because of our breaking of God's law, we had our relationship with God broken. And our desires to be satisfied by anything all stem from this need. No relationships, no status, no job, no money, no position can fix this problem. Only the grace of God in which He sent Jesus to live a perfect life, a life according to the law, die a perfect death, and be raised to life again will give us the satisfaction that we crave. Completeness, wholeness, peace. For this is what we desire even if we don't know how to articulate it. So seek the Lord where He may be found in His Word, in the Bible. Talk to Him in prayer. He will provide the significance that you seek. He will provide <clears throat> the satisfaction that you crave. He will provide the comfort that you desire. And He will show you the purpose of your life that He has set aside for you. For not only does He give you satisfaction that you crave, He also shows you your purpose. That He created you to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. This is our life's purpose. 
We have a role. We have a calling. We have an importance to someone. The one who is the creator of us all. The seer of all. The one who is sovereign in control over all things. And this is whom we must give glory to. Looking for significance and satisfaction in God alone, it may not be easy from the onset. For it means giving God control. Trusting in God alone. But it is the only way to truly know what it means to be at peace. Which is what we, like Pharaoh, are actually searching for. Now as this section of Genesis 41 continues, we see that Pharaoh does find the interpretation of his dream and the significance not only affects him, but it affects the entire nation and others as well. Now this interpreter is none other than Joseph. And we see in the next section, in verses 9 to 25, we see how this comes about. Now, so far in the first eight verses, we have not heard a mention of Joseph once. He was still waiting in prison for the chief cupbearer to fulfill his promise from the previous chapter. To go and speak to Pharaoh on Joseph's behalf. And we see this in this verse. And carefully and tactfully, the chief cupbearer, the one who is closest to Pharaoh, one of his more trusted servants, he starts to talk to Pharaoh about the events of two years prior. He speaks about Joseph and how his and the baker's dreams were interpreted. Now, more importantly, when we see, unlike back in chapter 40, which we looked at last week, where Joseph goes out of his way to give God the glory for his interpretation of his dreams, the chief cupbearer doesn't do that. He doesn't even mention God at all, as we see in the text. Instead, he gives all of the glory to Joseph and elevating his status by association. As soon as Pharaoh hears of Joseph, he frees him from prison and taking him from the lowest pit where he is suffering into the high place of Pharaoh's court where his clothes are changed and he is shaved as per Egyptian custom. And it's interesting, every time that Joseph's clothes are changed, something significant happens in his life. Look at this. Um, his brothers take his coat and they throw him into the pit and he's, slowed, he's sold into slavery. Potiphar's wife, it rip, she rips his outer garment and he is sent into prison. And now his clothes are removed and he gets new ones and he's elevated from prison into the presence of Pharaoh's high court. Where he then recounts um, the dream and Joseph interprets it and tells Pharaoh that God has given him the interpretation. Now, Joseph, he could have take, taken all the glory for himself. He could have acted like the chief cupbearer, trusting in his own, his own cunning, his own guile. Yet, instead, Joseph gives God all the glory. And he does so not in just a token way, as like a celebrity receiving an award would say, yes, uh, I thank God or I thank Jesus. No, Joseph goes out of his way to show that all of this is by God's doing. He says in verse 16 this, It is not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And again in verse 25 he says this, God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Now just like the patriarch Joseph, he's, sh he's showing God's glory. He's giving it where it is due. And we must do this as well. 
Not only do we see by Joseph's actions an example of how to live, but what he does is commanded in Scripture in other places. Like in 1 Corinthians 6.20, which you're going to see on the screen. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. And in Psalm 29.2, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. This command, it's plain. But it's a command that's hard for us to obey. We instead, we like to glorify ourselves. We like to give ourselves the praise. We like to give ourselves the honor, the glory, even though we're not the ones who have attained it. Joseph, he had the right perspective with his relationship to God. Everything we see in the accounts of Joseph, they show us that of his life and how God is sovereign, how he has guided Joseph's steps and his, his actions for every step of his life. And how every opportunity he has had to, to get glory for himself, he instead points it to God. He understands that he is a vessel that God is using to accomplish his purposes. Now, unlike in the account of Joseph, this is an area of our lives that we usually we fail miserably in. We are like the chief cupbearer, seeking glory for ourselves at every moment, every corner, every opportunity, instead of making the most of every opportunity by praising God, lifting Him up instead of ourselves. This is a hard action for us because we are a stubborn people. Like we're like a donkey or a mule who, because of our sin, we constantly seek glory for ourselves. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can die to ourselves, as Galatians 2.20 shows us. And because of it, it is Christ who lives in us. And it is sanctifying us. And by that I mean He's changing us from the inside out. Making us holy. Setting us apart. To be more like Christ so that we desire to give God the glory. Instead of selfishly seeking it for ourselves. For He is the one who is deserving of all the glory. We see throughout Scripture that God, by His actions and His character, is praiseworthy. He is all perfect. He is all powerful. He is all present. He has created the world and everything in it. He provides for our needs. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sin, to pay the penalty of death, and then rose from the grave on the third day, all to the glory of God the Father. God deserves all the glory. Not only from these big earth-shattering moments, but also for the actions that He does daily, like giving us air, food, shelter, no matter how hard it may be for us, we must humble ourselves. We must obey God's command to give Him the glory. Like Joseph, not to do so no matter the cost to ourselves. Even if it's in front of the most powerful earthly person or the most powerful earthly ru ruler, God deserves the glory due His name. Now, so far this morning, we've seen Pharaoh's dream and how he looked for satisfaction and significance in human wisdom and in magic instead of trusting God by looking for satisfaction and significance in God alone. And then we saw in verses 9 to 25 how the chief cupbearer, how he sought glory for himself instead of acting like Joseph and obeying God's command to give God the glory due his name. 
Lastly, this morning, we're going to see that we must trust in God by submitting to his sovereign control, which we see in verses 26 through 54. In the verses we read at the beginning of the sermon, we saw that Joseph was going to give the interpretation of the dream. Yet in these verses, we see the actual interpretation. Joseph tells Pharaoh that his dreams, they were meant to, that they were meant to do something important. That a great bounty of overproducing harvest of seven years would be coming. But then after those bountiful years, that there would be seven years of severe famine. Now in verses 32 through 37, we see that Joseph starts to do something more than just interpret the dream. He starts to give Pharaoh recommendations on how to deal with this severe famine. Now, this is very bold coming from Joseph. He is standing before the world's most powerful person, and he has gone, on, gone beyond the mandate which Pharaoh has given him to just interpret his dream. Yet we can see from the text that it is something that God is calling him to do. For all the suggestions, Joseph, he could have been killed. He could have been sent da- back down to prison. But by God's grace, the opposite is done. Pharaoh is impressed by the wisdom of Joseph and by God's interpretation of his dream. And Pharaoh then pays Joseph a compliment, which probably few have received, saying this, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? He then completes this compliment by granting Joseph a great privilege, a privilege to make him the second most powerful person not only in Egypt, but in the world. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only in regards to the throne will I be greater than you. By making Joseph second in command, Joseph has risen from prison to prominence in one swift action. And he is starting to fulfill the prophecy-filled dream that he had back in Genesis 37. With his brothers. Now, back at the beginning of the sermon, we stopped reading at this point in the passage, but this is not where the account ends. There's actually an important part of this passage that still has to take place. Verses 41 through 57, they say this And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. He made him ride in his second chariot and they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh and without your consent, no one shall lift a hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphoneth, Peneth, and he gave him, a mar- gave him in marriage to Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he get, gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, and like the sand of the sea, until it, he had ceased to measure it, 
for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of his firstborn son Manasseh. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in, my, in the land of my affliction. And seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. And there was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, what he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. In chapter 37, Joseph was 17 years old, a teenage boy, still living under his father's rule. Now at the end of our passage, he is 30 years old and overseeing all of Egypt. This is a tremendous rise to power. He had fallen so far, but now he is at the precipice. The last section of chapter 41, from verses 26 through 57, they focus on how God is sovereign. And as we've seen in the past few weeks of our sermon series, in this passage we see that this is showing how God, the God who calls men to rise and to fall, it is He who is in control of all things. Everything that happened in Joseph's life happened according to God's providence. Everything that happened was planned by God in eternity past. Just like all the lives of each and every one of us. God is concerned both with the macro view of everything from all of time as well as the individual moments of each and every one of our lives. Therefore, because God's power and because of His love manifesting in His sovereignty, we must trust God by submitting to His sovereign control. And we can do this in two ways, which we see in our passage this morning. The first is trusting God by submitting to His sovereign control. And this is the first part is remembering that God places us where he wants us. We see this in verses 26 through 50 and then in 53 through 57. We touched on this lightly earlier in the sermon, but this is a very important part of this. It, it's so much more magnified in these passages. All of Joseph's troubles and his interactions, they all placed him at the exact right time in the exact right place. To fulfill the need of Pharaoh. God had planned all of these moments so that Joseph would be in power for such a time as this. A devastating famine. And as we see in verse 57 and in further, in further weeks in chapters 42 through 47, that he was there for this purpose. God placed Joseph in power as an act of his covenant faithfulness to his people. For back in Genesis 17... He promised Abraham that he would be his God and that his family would be his people, making an everlasting covenant 
or a promise to them. And placing Joseph in power, it helps keep this promise. For next week, we're going to see how God brings Joseph's family under Joseph's protection. Fulfilling the dream of Genesis 37. Protecting God's chosen covenant people. Now, just like Joseph, God places us where he wants us and when he wants us every moment of every day of our lives for all of time. This is a concept that's hard for us to really wrap our heads around. For since God is infinite, since he is immortal, since he is invisible, since he is all-knowing and he's all-powerful, it can be hard for us to fully grasp all those concepts. Yet he can plan every moment of every day for all of time for everyone who has existed and everyone who will exist. What this means to us is that you are where God has placed you. You are not there by accident. You may not know why you are at a specific place in a specific time, but we do know that you, what you are to do. We are to serve God to fulfill our purpose of glorifying and enjoying Him in every single area of our lives. Whether it's with our family, whether it's with our friends, our work, or anything else, we are to glorify God where we are at. For when and where God places us is by His doing, for His greater purposes, His own will. For example, he has placed you at such a time as this in the year of 2020, in the time of COVID, in a time of political and social unrest. Yet we have seen this year, while it may not always be a pleasant experience for us, we can rest in the comfort of knowing if we know Jesus as our Savior, that God is always with us. He never leaves us, he never forsakes us, and he never stops loving us. We can also trust and rest in the knowledge that if Jesus is our Savior, that this is not your home. Your home is with God in heaven. The place He has prepared for you beforehand, before you were even created. The second part of trusting God by submitting to His will is remembering that God is the provider and praising Him for that provision. We see this in verses 46 through 52. God follows through on his promise for seven years of abundance in the land of Egypt. And then there is those seven years of famine. And in this time of providing for all of Egypt, God also provides for Joseph by giving him a wife and two sons. Now in Hebrew culture, it was customary to name a child for either specific events that had happened or a promise of what will come. In this case with Joseph, he names his two sons Manasseh and Ephraim. Now, Manasseh means this, for God has made me forget all my hardship in my father's house. And Ephraim means, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now, these names, they show us that Joseph was seeing something. He was seeing God's sovereign control over all things. For he is witnessing God's abundant love. He is witnessing his abundant mercy. So in naming Manasseh, Joseph is reminded of, the, of how God made him fruitful despite his past. And he names his son Ephraim because God has given him abundant fullness, both now and in the future. 
And all of this is so that Joseph is constantly reminded, just like we are, that we are a people of God. Now Joseph had, a reason, to pra- had reason to praise, and this is the form it took. He is praising God on how he has provided for him by naming his children after these works. Now you may be thinking, that's great and all, but how is naming a child praise? It's simple. Every time Joseph is calling his son's name, he is reminded of God's provision. And if your children are like anything like mine, you're going to be saying your children's names a lot. He is reminded simply every time of God's provision, of God's love, and of God's sovereignty throughout his entire life. To place him at these correct times and these correct places as such a time as this. Every time he calls his child's name, he is praising God for who he is. And this is what we have to do as well. We must be needing to praise God at all times. We don't need to name our children after the, uh, during these about God's works or God's praise, but we must be praising Him. We are to praise God in daily for who He is for and His works. Praising Him for providing for your needs. Praising Him by uh, for sending Jesus to be the sacrificial Savior of sinners. Praising God for who He has promised to be. Praising Him in song, praising Him in words and in deeds, praising Him in prayers to Him, praising Him in having conversations with others by giving God the glory for what God has done, praising God by trusting in Him completely, by submitting to His sovereign control, and looking for satisfaction and significance in Him alone. For He is the sovereign God. He is the one who is in control over all things, seen and unseen, and we must trust and obey Him no matter what. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, holy and almighty God, we thank You for giving us Your Word. For You are the one who shows us who You are. You are the one who has, who has taken care of us. You are the one who has created us. You are the one who provides for us. Father, please help us to see your sovereignty in every aspect of our lives. Father, please help us to trust in you, to obey you, Father, no matter what is going on in our lives, no matter how hard it is to be like Joseph, to follow you, even though we may stand before someone very important to us, someone who could change our lives, but being steadfast in our obedience to you. Father, please help us to do this, not just today, but for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, this morning, we heard a lot about God's sovereignty and how we must trust and obey Him in all areas of our life. This morning, we are going to sing a song of response. And we're actually going to sing one of my family's favorite songs, a song that I sing to my children every night um, as they fall asleep, a hymn that reminds us to trust and obey God because He loves us. Because of his sovereign control, we must glorify him. And the first verse of this, actually it's going to be a mashup song of a couple different songs. But this first verse, you can come on up if you want. I'm not going to bite. (laughs) When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sends on our way, or sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still. 
and with all who trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Think on these words as we sing this song. To give God the glory His due by praising His name with one voice, for our God is sovereign and He is in control of all things. Let us stand. When we walk, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Not a shadow, not a shadow can rise. Not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt or a fear, not a sigh or a tear, can abide while we trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. What gift of grace, what gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing. All is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. The night is dark. The night is dark, but I am not forsaken. For by my side, the Savior, He will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing. For in my need, His power is to stay. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me. Through the deep, valley he 
Oh, the night has been won, and I shall overcome, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Then in fellowship, then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet, or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he says we will go, never fear, only trust and obey. To this I hold. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. All the glory evermore to Him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. When the race is complete, when the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. But, but to, to trust, trust and obey. Amen. race 